Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 50 to 51 and in the previous episode we read chapters 47 to 49 I believe. So a quick recap of the previous episode. We last left off of Leo now landing on an island called Ojigia. Now, Ojigia must have must be a bit familiar because Percy, a few books ago, um, in the last series, he had landed in Ojigia and had met Calypso, a girl who was exiled to live on there and has now met Leo. And we can see that the reactions of how she met Percy versus how she met Leo are two very drastic things. So it'll be very interesting to see how Leo and Calypso interact and see how their relationship goes is are they going to turn into sworn enemies or could this be a potential trope into lovers we'll have to see as we read chapter 50 leo holy hephaestus leo said the path opened into the nicest garden leo had ever seen not that he had spent a lot of time in gardens but dang on the left was an orchard or orchard and a vineyard Peach trees with red golden fruit that smelled awesome in the warm sun. Carefully pruned vines bursting with grapes, bowers of flowering jasmine, and a bunch of other plants Leo couldn't name. On the right were neat beds of vegetables and herbs. Arranged like spokes around a big sparkling fountain where bronze satyrs spewed water into a central bowl. At the back of the garden where the footpath ended, a cave opened in the side of a grassy hill. Compared to Bunker 9 back at the camp, the entrance was tiny, but it was impressive in its own way. On either side, crystalline rock had been carved into glittering Grecian columns. The tops were fitted with a bronze rod that held silky white curtains. Leo's nose was assaulted by good smells, cedar, juniper, jasmine, peaches, and fresh herbs. The aroma from the cave really caught his attention, like beef stew, cooking. He started toward the entrance. Seriously, how could he not? He stopped when he noticed the girl. She was kneeling in her vegetable garden, her back to Leo. She muttered to herself as she dug furiously with a trowel. Leo approached her from one side so she could see him. He didn't feel like surprising her when she was armed with a sharp gardening implement. She kept cursing in ancient Greek and stabbing at the dirt. She had flecks of soil all over her arms, her face, and her white dress, but she didn't seem to care. Leo could appreciate that. She looked better with a little mud. Less like a beauty queen and more like an actual get-your-hands-dirty kind of person. I think you've punished that dirt enough, he offered. She scowled at him, her eyes red and watery. Just go away! You're crying, he said, which was stupidly obvious, but seeing her that way took the wind out of his helicopter blade, so to speak. It was hard to stay mad at someone who was crying. None of your business, she muttered. It's a big island, just... Find your own place. Leave me alone. She waved vaguely toward the south. Go that way, maybe. So no magic raft, Leo said. No other way off the island? Apparently not. What am I supposed to do then? Sit in the sand dunes until I die? That would be fine. The girl threw down her trowel and cursed at the sky. Except I suppose he can't die here, can he, Zeus? This is not funny. Can't die here? Hold up. Leo's head spun like a crankshaft. He couldn't quite translate what this girl was saying. Like when he heard Spaniards or South Americans speaking Spanish, yeah, he could understand it, sort of. But it sounded so different. It was almost another language. 
I'm going to need some more information here. He said, you don't want me in your face. That's cool. I don't want to be here either. But I'm not going to go die in a corner. I have to get off this island. There's got to be a way. Every problem has a fix. She laughed bitterly. <laughs> you haven't lived very long, if you still believe that. The way she said it sent a shiver up his back. She looked the same age as him, but he wondered how old she really was. You said something about a curse, he prompted. She flexed her fingers like she was practicing her throat-strangling technique. Yes, I can't leave Ojigia. My father, Atlas, fought against the gods, and I supported him. Atlas, Leah said. As in the Titan, Atlas? The girl rolled her eyes. Yes, you impossible little... Whatever she was going to say, she bit it back. I was imprisoned here, where I could cause the Olympians no trouble. About a year ago, after the Second Titan War, the gods vowed to forgive their enemies and offer amnesty. Supposedly, Percy made them promise. Percy? Leo said. Percy Jackson? She squeezed her eyes shut. A tear trickled down her cheek. Oh, Leo thought. Percy came here, he said. She dug her fingers into the soil. I... I... I thought I would be released. I dare to hope. But I am still here. Leah remembered now. The story was supposed to be a secret, but of course that meant it had spread like wildfire across the camp. Percy had told Annabeth months later when Percy had gone missing. Annabeth told Piper. Piper told Jason. Percy had talked about visiting this island. He had met a goddess who had gotten a major crush on him and wanted him to stay, but eventually she let him go. You're that lady. Leah said, the one who was named after the Caribbean music. Her eyes glinted murderously. Caribbean music. Yeah, Rie? Leo shook his head. Meringue? Hold on, I'll get it. He snapped his fingers. Calypso, but Percy said you were awesome. He said you were all sweet and helpful and not, um, she shot to her feet. Yes? Uh, nothing, Leo said. Would you be sweet, she demanded, if the gods forgot their promise to let you go? Would you be sweet if they laughed at you by sending another hero, but a hero who looked like, like you? Is that a trick question? Die, Immortalis! She, she turned and marched into her cave. Hey! Leo ran after her. When he got inside, he lost his train of thought. The walls were made from multicolored chunks of crystal. White curtains divided the cave into different rooms with comfy pillows and woven rugs and platters of fresh fruit. He spotted a harp in one corner, a loom in another, and a big cooking pot where the stew was bubbling, filling the cavern with luscious smells. The strangest thing? The chores were doing themselves. Towels floated through the air, folding and stacking into neat piles. Spoons washed themselves in a copper sink. The scene reminded Leo of the invisible wind spirits that served him lunch at Camp Jupiter. Calypso stood at a wash basin, cleaning the dirt off her arms. She scowled at Leo, but she didn't yell at him to leave. She seemed to be running out of her energy for her anger. Leo cleared his throat. If he was going to get any help from this lady, he needed to be nice. So, I get why you're angry. You probably never want to see another demigod again. I guess I didn't sit right when, uh... Uh, Percy, uh, left you. He was only the latest. She growled. Before him, it was that pirate Drake. And before him, Odysseus. They were all the same. The gods send me the greatest heroes, the ones I cannot help, but... You fall in love with them, Leo guessed. And then they leave you. Her chin trembled. That is my curse. 
I had hoped to be free of, of it by now. But here I am, still stuck on Ojijia after 3,000 years. Th- th- 3,000? Leo's mouth felt tingly like he'd just eaten Pop Rocks. Uh, you look good for 3,000. And now, the worst insult of all, the gods mock me by sending you. Anger bubbled in Leo's stomach. Yeah, typical. If Jason were here, Calypso would fall all over him. She'd beg him to stay, but he'd be all noble about returning to his duties, and then he'd live, leave Calypso brokenhearted. Then Magic Raft would totally arrive for him. But Leo? He was the annoying guest she couldn't get rid of. She'd never fall for him because she was totally out of his league. Not that he cared, she wasn't his type anyway. She was way too annoying, and beautiful, and... Well, it didn't matter. Fine, he said. I'll leave you alone. I'll build something myself and get off this stupid island without your help. She shook her head sadly. You don't understand, do you? The gods are laughing at both of us. If the raft will not appear, that means they've closed Ojijia. You're stuck here the same as me. You can never leave. And that's the end of chapter 50. Well, it seems to be much more complicated than just Leo and Calypso hating each other. I think Calypso has just brought this, you know, angst that... She genuinely won't ever leave, which makes sense if you're if you've been stuck on an island for three thousand years. It does get a little bit um annoying. <laughs> um so yeah, I, I I think that Leo will definitely start I think sometimes, you know, I think that Leo all, all he needed was context and I think that he got it. So I think it's definitely going to help him understand and hopefully get him and Calypso out of this mess because if an uh, if a raft truly has not arrived yet, then potentially I think it is what Leo uh, it is what Leo said he may have to build a raft himself or me he may have to find the way to get out himself. So we'll, we we shall come back from the break and read chapter fifty one to see what exactly happens and does Leo find a way to get out of Ojidia with Calypso potentially? We shall see after the break. Uh, so yeah, uh, see you after the break and go and grab some water, maybe some snacks and we'll be back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back from the break. And now we're going to read chapter 51, Leo. The first few days were the worst. Leo slept outside on a bed of drop clothes under the stars. It got cold at night, even on the beach in the summer. So he built fires with the remains of Calypso's dining table. That cheered him up a little. During the days, he walked the circumference of the island and found nothing of interest. Unless you liked beaches and endless sea in every direction, he tried to send an iris message in the rainbows that formed in the sea spray. But he had no luck. He didn't have any drachmas for an offering, and apparently the goddess Iris wasn't interested in nuts and bolts. He didn't even dream, which was unusual for him, or for any demigod, so he had no idea what was going on in the outside world. Had his friends gotten rid of Keon? 
Were they looking for him, or had they sailed on to Epirus to complete the quest? He wasn't even sure what to hope for. The dream he had back on the Argo II finally made sense to him. When the evil sorceress lady had told him to either jump off a cliff into the clouds, or descend into a dark tunnel where ghostly voices whispered, that tunnel must have represented the House of Hades, which Leo would never see now. He'd taken a cliff instead, falling through the sky, to this stupid island. But in the dream, Leo had been given a choice. In real life, he'd had none. Keon had simply plucked him off the ship and shot him into orbit. orbit. Totally unfair. The worst part of being stuck here, he was losing track of the days. He woke up one morning and couldn't remember if he'd been on OGGF for three nights or four. Calypso wasn't much help. Leo confronted her in the garden, but she just shook her head. Time is difficult here. Great. For all Leo knew, a century had passed in the real world and the war with Gaia was over for better or worse. Or maybe he'd only been on Ojiji for five minutes. His whole life might pass here in the time it took his friends on the Ark of the Second to have breakfast. Either way, he needed to get off this island. Calypso took pity on him in some ways. She sent her invisible servants to leave bowls of stew and goblets of apple cider at the edge of the garden. She even sent him a few new sets of clothes, simple, undyed, cotton pants and shirts, that she must have made on her loom. They fit him so well. Leo wondered how he, she'd gotten his measurements. Maybe she just used her genetic pattern for scrawny mail. Anyway, he was glad to have new threads, since his old ones were pretty smelly and burned up. Usually, Leo could keep his clothes from burning when he caught fire, but it took concentration. Sometimes back at camp, if he wasn't thinking about it, he'd be working on some metal project at the Hot Forge, look down, and realize his clothes had burned away. Except for his magic tool belt and a smoking pair of underwear. Kind of embarrassing. Despite the gifts, Calypso obviously didn't want to see him. One time, he poked his head inside the cave, and she freaked out, yelling and throwing pots at his head. Yeah, she was definitely on Team Leo. He ended up pitching a more permanent camp near the footpath, where the beach met the hills. That way, he was close enough to pick up his Neo meals, but Calypso didn't have to see him and go into a pot-throwing rage. He made himself a lean-to with sticks and canvas. He dug a campfire pit. He even managed to build himself a bench and a work table from some driftwood and dead cedar branches. He spent hours fixing the Archimedes sphere, cleaning it, and repairing its circuits. He made himself a compass, but the needle would spin all crazy no matter what he tried. Leo guessed a GPS would have never been would have been useless too. This island was designed to be off the charts. Impossible to leave. You remember the old bronze astrolabe he picked up in Bologna? The one the dwarfs told him Odysseus had made. Yet a sneaking suspicion Odysseus had been thinking about this island when he constructed it, but Unfortunately, Leo had left it back on his ship with Buford the Wonder Table. Besides, the dwarves had told him the astrolabe didn't work. Something about a missing crystal. He walked the beach, wondering why Keon had sent him here. Assuming his landing here wasn't an accident. Why not just kill him instead? Maybe Keon wanted him to be in limbo forever. Perhaps she knew the gods were too incapacitated to pay attention to Ojigia, and so the island's magic was broken. That could be why Calypso was still stuck here and why the magic wrap wouldn't appear for Leo. Or maybe the magic of this place was working just fine. The gods punished Calypso by sending her buff, courageous dudes who've left as soon as she fell for him. Maybe that was the problem. Calypso would never fall for Leo. She wanted him to leave. So they were stuck in a vicious circle. If that was Keon's plan... Wow. Major League Devious. Then one morning he made a discovery and things got even more complicated. 
Leo was walking in the hills, following a little brook that ran between two big cedar trees. He liked this area. It was the only place on Ojijia where he couldn't see the sea, so he could pretend he wasn't stuck on an island. In the shade of the trees, he almost felt like he was back at Camp Half-Blood, heading through the woods towards Bunker 9. He jumped over the creek. Instead of landing on soft earth, his fate hit something much harder. Clang. Metal. Excited, Leo dug through the mulch until he saw a glint of bronze. Oh, man. He giggled like a crazy person as he excavated the scraps. You had no idea why the stuff was here. Hephaestus was always throwing broken parts out of his godly workshop and littering the earth with his scrap metal. But what were the chances some of it would hit Ojigia? Leo found a handful of wires, a few bent gears, a piston that might still work, and several hammered sheets of celestial bronze. The smallest the size of a drink coaster, the largest the size of a war shield. It wasn't a lot, not compared to Bunker 9 or even to his supplies aboard the Argo II, but it was more than sand and rocks. He looked up at the sunlight winking through the cedar branches. Dad, if you sent this here for me, thanks. If you didn't, well, thanks anyway. He gathered up his treasure trove and lugged it back to his campsite. After that, the days passed more quickly and with a lot more noise. First, Leo made himself a forge out of mud bricks, each one baked with his own fiery hands. He found a large rock he could use as an anvil base, and he pulled nails from his tool belt until he had enough to melt into a plate for a hammering surface. Once that was done, he began to recast the celestial bronze scraps. Each day, his hammer brang on bronze until his rock anvil broke, or his tongs bent, or he ran out of firewood. Each evening, he collapsed, drenched in sweat and covered in soot. But he felt great. At least he was working, trying to solve his problem. The first time Calypso came to check on him, it was to complain about the noise. Smoke and fire, she said, clanging on metal all day long. You're scaring away the birds. Oh no, not the birds, Leo grumbled. What do you hope to accomplish? He glanced up and almost smashed his thumb with his hammer. He'd been staring at metal and fire for so long he'd forgotten how beautiful Calypso was. Annoyingly beautiful. She stood there with the sunlight in her hair, her white skirt fluttering around her legs, a basket of grapes and fresh baked bread tucked under one arm. Leo tried to ignore his rumbling stomach. I'm hoping to get off this island, he said. That is what you want, right? Calypso scowled. She set the basket near his bedroll. You haven't eaten in two days. Take a break and eat. Two days? Leo hadn't even noticed, which surprised him since he liked food. He was more, even more surprised that Calypso had no, noticed. Thanks, he muttered. I'll uh, try to hammer more quietly. Huh. She sounded unimpressed. After that, she didn't complain about the noise or the smoke. The next time she visited, Leo was putting the final touches on his first project. He didn't see her until she spoke right behind him. I brought you... Leo jumped, dropping his wires. Bronze bowls, girl! Don't sneak up on me like that! She was wearing red today. Leo's favorite color. That was completely irrelevant. She looked really good in red. Also irrelevant. I wasn't sneaking, she said. I was bringing you these. She showed him the clothes that were folded over her arm. A new pair of jeans, a white t-shirt, an army fatigue jacket. Wait, those were his clothes. Except that they couldn't be. His original army jacket had burned up months ago. He hadn't been wearing it when he landed on Gigia, but the clothes Calypso held looked exactly like the clothes he'd been wearing the first day he arrived at Camp Half-Blood. Except these looked bigger, resized to fit him better. How? he asked. 
Calypso set the clothes at his feet and backed away as if he were a dangerous beast. I do have a little magic, you know. You keep burning through the clothes I give you, so I thought I would weave something less flammable. These won't burn? He picked up the jeans, but they felt just like normal denim. They are completely fireproof, Calypso promised. They'll stay clean and expand to fit you, should you ever become less scrawny. Thanks. He meant to sound sarcastic, but he was honestly impressed. Leo could make a lot of things, but an inflammable self-cleaning outfit wasn't one of them. So, you made an exact replica of my favorite outfit. Did you, like, Google me or something? She frowned. I don't know that word. You looked me up, he said, almost like you had some interest in me. She wrinkled her nose. I have an interest in not making you a new set of clothes every other day. I have an interest in your not smelling so bad and walking around my island in smoldering rags. Oh... Yeah. Leo grinned. You're really warming up to me. Her face got even redder. You are the most insufferable person I have ever met. I was only returning a favor. You fixed my fountain. That? Leo laughed. The problem had been so simple he'd almost forgotten about it. One of the bronze satyrs had gotten turned sideways and the water pressure was off. So it started making an annoying ticking sound, jiggling up and down and spewing water over the rim of the pool. He pulled it out, a couple of tools, and fixed it in about two minutes. That was no big deal. I don't like when things don't work right. And the curtains across the cave entrance? The rod wasn't level. And my gardening tools? Look, I was just sharp I just sharpened the shears. Cutting vines with a dull blade is dangerous, and pruners need to be oiled at the hinge and Oh yeah, Calypso said, in a pretty imita- a pretty good imitation of his voice. You're really warming up to me. For once Leo was speechless. Calypso's eyes glittered. He knew she was making fun of him, but somehow didn't feel mean. She pointed at his work table. What are you building? Oh. He looked at the bronze mirror which he's just finished wiring up to the Archimedes sphere. In the screen's polished surface, his own reflection surprised him. His hair had grown out longer and curlier. His face was thinner and more chiseled, maybe because he hadn't been eating. His eyes were dark and a little ferocious when he wasn't smiling. Kind of a Tarzan look. Tarzan came in extra small Latino. He couldn't blame Calypso for backing away from him. Uh, it's a seeing device, he said. We found one like this in Rome, in the workshop of Archimedes. If I can make it work, maybe I can find out what's going on with my friends. Calypso shook her head. That's impossible. This island is hidden, cut off from the world by strong magic. Time doesn't even flow the same here. Well, you've got to have some kind of outside contact. How did you find out that I used to wear an army jacket? She twisted her hair as if the question made her uncomfortable. Seeing the past is simple magic. Seeing the present or the future, that is not. Yeah, well, Leo said, watch and learn, sunshine. I just connect these last two wires and the bronze plate sparked. Smoke billowed from the sphere and a flash of fire raced up Leo's sleeve. He pulled off his shirt, threw it down, and stomped on it. He could tell Calypso was trying not to laugh, but she was shaking with the effort. Not a word, Leo warned. She glanced at his bare chest, which was sweaty, bony, and streaked with old scars from weapon-making accidents. Nothing worth commenting on, she assured him. If you want the device to work, perhaps you should try a musical invocation. Right, he said. Whenever an engine malfunctions, I like to tap dance around it. Works every time. She took a deep breath and began to sing. Her voice hit him like a cool breeze, like that first cold front in Texas when the summer heat finally breaks and you start to believe things might get better. Leo couldn't understand the words, but the song was plaintive and bittersweet, as if she were describing a home she could never return to. 
Her singing was magic, no doubt, but it wasn't like Medea's trance-inducing voice or even Piper's charm speak. The music didn't want anything from him. It simply reminded him of his best memories, building things with his mom in her workshop, sitting in the sunshine with his friends at camp. It made him miss home. Calypso stopped singing. Leo realized he was staring like an idiot. Any luck? She asked. Uh, he forced his eyes back to the bronze mirror. Nothing. Wait. The screen glowed. In the air above it, a holographic picture shimmered to light. Leo recognized the commons at Camp Half-Blood. There was no sound, but Clarice LaRue from the Ares cabin was yelling orders at the campers, forming them into lines. Leo's brethren from Camp at Nine hurried around, fitting everyone with armor and passing out weapons. Even Chiron the Centaur was dressed with for war. He trotted up and down the ranks, his plumed helmet gleaming, his legs decked in bronze greaves. His usual friendly smile was gone, replaced with a look of grim determination. In the distance, great triremes floated on Long Island Sound, prepped for war. Along the hills, catapults were being primed, satyrs patrolled the fields, and riders on pegasi circled overhead, alert for aerial attacks. Your friends? Calypso asked. Leo nodded. His face felt numb. They're preparing for war. Against whom? Look, Leo said. The scene changed. A phalanx of Roman demigods marched through a moonlit vineyard. An illuminated sign in the distance read, Goldsmith Winery. I've seen that sign before, Leo said. That's not far from Camp Half-Blood. Suddenly, the Roman ranks deteriorated into chaos. Demigods scattered, shields fell, javelins swung wildly like the whole group had stepped into fire ants. Darting through the moonlight were two small hairy shapes dressed in mismatched clothes and garish hats. They seemed to be everywhere, whacking Romans on the head, stealing their weapons, cutting their belts so their pants fell around their ankles. Leo couldn't help grinning. Those beautiful little troublemakers, they kept their promise. Calypso leaned in, watching the Kirkabees. Cousins of yours? Ha 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 ha! No, Leo said. Couple of dwarfs I met in Bologna. I sent them to slow down the Romans, and they're doing it. But for how long? Calypso wondered. Good question. The scene shifted again. Leo saw Octavian, that no-good blonde scarecrow of an auger. He stood in a gas station parking lot, surrounded by black SUVs and Roman demigods. He held up a long pole wrapped, wrapped in canvas. When he uncovered it, a golden eagle glimmered at the top. Oh, that's not good, Leo said. A Roman standard, Calypso noted. Yeah, and this one shoots lightning, according to Percy. As soon as he said Percy's name, Leo regretted it. He glanced at Calypso. He could see in her eyes how much she was struggling trying to marshal her emotions into neat, orderly rows like strands on her loom. What surprised Leo most was the surge of anger he felt. It wasn't just annoyance or jealousy. He was mad at Percy for hurting this girl. He refocused on the holographic images. Now he saw a single rider, Reyna, the praetor from Camp Jupiter, flying through a storm on the back of a light brown pegasus. Reyna's dark hair flew in the wind. Her purple cloak fluttered, revealing the glimmer of her armor. She was bleeding from cuts on her arms and face. Her Pegasus's eyes were wild, his mouth slathering from hard writing, but Reyna peered steadfastly forward into the storm. As Leo watched, a wild griffin dived out of the clouds. It raked its claws across the horse's ribs, almost throwing Reyna. She drew her sword and slashed the monster down. Seconds later, three venti appeared, dark air spirits swirling like miniature tornadoes laced with lightning. Reyna charged them, yelling defiantly. Then the bronze mirror went dark. No. Leo yelled, No, not now! Show me what happens! He banged on the mirror. Calypso, can you sing again or something? 
She glared at him. I suppose that is your girlfriend? Your Penelope? Your Elizabeth? Your Annabeth? What? Leo couldn't figure this girl out. Half the stuff she made made no sense. That's Reyna. She's not my girlfriend. I need to see more. I need... Need. A voice rumbled in the ground beneath his feet. Leo staggered, suddenly feeling like he was standing on the surface of a trampoline. Need is an overused word. A swirling human figure erupted from the stands. Leo's least favorite goddess. The mistress of mud. The princess of potty sludge. Gaia herself. Oh, let me say that again. Need is an overused word. Leah threw a pair of pliers at her. Unfortunately, she wasn't solid and they passed right through. Her eyes were closed, but she didn't look asleep. Exactly. She had a, she had a smile on her dust devil face as if she were intently listening to her favorite song. Her sandy robe shifted and folded, reminding Leo of the undulating fins on that stupid shrimpzilla monster they'd fought in the Atlantic. For his money, though, Gaia was uglier. You wanna live, Gaia said. You wanna join your friends, but you do not need this, my poor boy. It would make no difference. Your friends will die regardless. Leo's legs shook. He hated it, but whenever this witch appeared, he felt like he was eight years old again trapped in the lobby of his mom's machine shop, listening to Gaia's soothing evil voice while his mother was locked inside the burning warehouse, dying from heat and smoke. What I don't need, he growled, is more lies from you, dirt face. You told me my great-granddad died in the 1960s. Wrong. You told me I couldn't save my friends in Rome. To wrong. You told me a lot of things. Gaia's laughter was a soft, rustling sound like dirt trickling down a hill in the first moments of an avalanche. I tried to help you make better choices. You could have saved yourself, but you defied me at every step. You built your ship. You joined that foolish quest. Now you are trapped here, helpless, while the mortal world dies. Leo's hands burst into flame. He wanted to melt Gaia's sandy face to glass. Then... He felt Calypso's hand on his shoulder. Gaia? Her voice was stern and steady. You are not welcome. Leo wished he could sound as confident as Calypso. Then he remembered that this annoying 15-year-old girl was actually the immortal daughter of a titan. Ah, Calypso. Gaia raised her arms as if for a hug. Still here, I see, despite the gods' promises. Why do you think that is, my dear grandchild? Are the Olympians being spiteful, leaving you with no company except this undergrown fool? Or have they simply forgotten you because you are not worth their time? Calypso stared straight through the swirling face of Gaia, all the way to the horizon. Yes, Gaia murmured sympathetically. The Olympians are fatalists. They don't give second chances. Why do you hold out hope? You supported your father, Atlas, in his great war. You knew that the gods must be destroyed. Why do you hesitate now? I offer you a chance that Zeus would never give you. Where were you these last 3,000 years? Calypso asked. If you're so concerned with my fate, why do you visit me only now? Gaia turned up her palms. The earth is slow to wake. War comes in its own time, but do not think it will pass you by on Ojigia. When I remake the world, this prison will be destroyed as well. Ojigia? Destroyed? Calypso shook her head, as if she could imagine those two words going together. 
You do not have to be here when that happens, Gaio promised. Join me now. Kill this boy, spill his blood upon the earth, and help me to wake. I will free you and grant you any wish. Freedom, revenge against the gods, even a prize. Would you still have the demigod Percy Jackson? I will spare him for you. I will raise him from Tartarus. He will be yours to punish or to love as you choose. Only kill this trespassing boy. Show your loyalty. Several scenarios went through Leo's head. None of them good. It was positive Calypso would strangle him on the spot or order her invisible wind servants to chop him into a Leo puree. Why wouldn't she? Gaia was making her the ultimate deal. Kill one annoying guy, get a handsome one for free. Calypso thrust her hand toward Gaia in a three-fingered gesture Leo recognized from Camp Half-Blood, the ancient Greek ward against evil. This is not just my prison, grandmother. It is my home. And you are the trespasser. The wind ripped Gaia's form into nothingness, scattering the sand into the blue sky. Leo swallowed. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, but you didn't kill me. Are you crazy? Calypso's eyes smoldered with anger, but for once, Leo didn't think the anger was aimed at him. Your friends must need you, or else Gaia would not ask for your death. I, uh, yeah, I guess. Then we have work to do, she said. We must get you back to your ship. And that's the end of chapter 50. One. Well, this is definitely a change of events. I think we can definitely see the relationship between Leo and Calypso getting a little bit, a little bit interesting to see. Uh, Leo going into some moments of denial, but overall, we'll see what exactly happens with their relationship, and if hopefully Leo will be able to escape Ojiji and maybe take Calypso along with her, with him. Because I think that maybe she would like to see the outside world after being stuck on an island for 3,000 years. So, that's definitely going to be a very interesting episode to read next week. Now, moving on to uh, our next session, which is going to be the Q&A session and the shout-out session. So, So, once again, if I miss your name or if I miss a question, do please let me know. And I will try my best to get it in the next episode. Um... Although I do want to point out for the questions, sometimes I may not also answer them because they're a bit personal to me and um, I do feel a bit uncomfortable answering them at the moment. Um, Don't worry, it is not your fault. I just, um, I'm not comfortable with answering them at the moment. Um, But yes, uh, uh, if I do miss your question, otherwise do please uh, let me know and I shall make sure to answer it again in the next episode. Now, moving on to the shout-outs, we have one, number one, I'm Bored, number two, Flara, Fairy of the Rainbow, number three, Ravioli, and number four, Artforge. Thank you, guys. Now, moving on to the questions, number one, do you prefer satyrs or fawns? Um, I love them equally. Number two, do you use voice-changing mics? I don't. Uh, number three, who is your favorite artist? Hmm. Hmm. I... I don't think I really have one. I think I just, I do, I like listening to music, but I don't really have a preference when it comes to who I listen to. Um, As long as it sounds good, I'll listen to it. Uh, Next question is, if you could be a Greek or Roman god, who would you be? Um, I would love to be Hephaestus. I think the fact that he's able to engineer and create various types of machinery, I think that's just 
insane to me and super cool. I would love to be Hephaestus um, in general. Uh, I think that is just the. I think his sole ability to be able to um, uh, to just machine make anything work, make a working machine within minutes. I think that's just a really cool concept. Uh, if you could change your name to a Greek or Roman name, what would it be? Uh, it would probably be. Hmm. Let's see. It would probably have to be either for if it was a Roman goddess. I would probably uh, I if for a goddess's name, I would probably choose Juno, uh, which is Hera's Roman name. But if it was a god's name, I think I would go with Apollo. Um, one of those two. I think those are those two are just really cool names to me. They they stand out a lot. Um, next question is preferred weapon of choice: uh, bow and arrow. Number three. Num- uh, next question is most useful power in a tricky situation: shape shifting. Um, I think that when you're able to shape shift into any animal, that really does help you. You could fly out of the situation. You could claw your way out of the situation. You could run, sprint out of the situation. Uh, lots of ways to get out uh, with that. Uh, have you heard of Solangelo? Um, I don't think so. I haven't before. Um, you mentioned when you first read the books that they were not interesting. Are you a fan now after all these years of reading it? Definitely. I do wish that I gave it a bit more of a chance back then, but I think that now that I've um, we're 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 on the second series, um, it's definitely I'm definitely enjoying this and enjoying reading this. Uh, there's just so much character development and so much, uh, f- so much fascinating plot to it, and they never lose that essence of Greek and Roman mythology to it. And so it's also like I'm also learning more stuff than I thought I, I thought I knew a lot about Greek and Roman mythology. But I think that this book really helped me understand that there is more than it seems than than I than it seems. And it's really fascinating to see that along with all these characters and the character development and the plot development happening. So I think that that's really neat. Um, Have you ever read ahead? I have seen spoilers sometimes, but I have not read ahead um, in terms of these books. So I'm just reading along with you guys uh, as we see these chapters. Uh, next question is, what do you think about the new Percy Jackson book coming out? I am very excited. Uh, I may or may not release um, a specialty episode, a specialty season, maybe reading that specific book um, for the fun of it. But we shall see. We shall see what will happen. Um, next question is, will you read the um, Elementia Chronicles on a different podcast? Um, when it comes to rip, uh, uh, spinoffs, of Rick Riordan's uh, books, I may be considering to do them on a different podcast or may continue to do them on the same podcast. Um, I am not sure about that yet, but if I do come to a decision about that regarding that, I will let you guys know as soon as possible. Next question is, how are you planning to spend the 4th? Uh, I don't really spend the 4th, but um, I know that it is very uh, it's very fun to see for a lot of people, um, whoever celebrates it. Uh, but yeah, it's just going to be an- another regular day for me. Uh, next question is the favorite magic item, my favorite magic item. Um, 
I would probably say, again, it would probably be the bow and arrow, Artemis's bow and arrow. That's just, I, 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 I just, um, the concept of archery is very fascinating to me. So, yeah, that's that. That is the end of our Q&A session. I really enjoyed this Q&A session. I hope you guys did as well. Feel free to continue asking me any questions. And if you guys want your name to be shouted out, I'll also try my best to shout your name out. Thank you guys for enjoying this episode. And once again, I would like to add, if you'd like to go and uh, give some extra support uh, on Patreon, there's a link to it in the description of my podcast. Again, once again, very totally optional, but it would be much appreciated um, if you could check that out. So yeah, thank you very much uh, for listening to this podcast. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom. Thank you.